Eleanor without a bar. Welcome to 3 PR. I'm your host, Adamar, and joining me again is my true crime panel. Uh, everybody introduce yourself. Start with Leslie and work your way to, uh, to the right. I'm Leslie Gillieri. I'm a true crime author. I spent 12 years in law enforcement and published a true crime book last spring. My name is Jason White. I'm a homicide detective in the city of Tulsa. I've been a homicide detective years previous to that i were i've also worked in an array of uh, other specialty assignments as well i've been a police officer here for 25 years you're up sandy (laughs) (laughs) okay um i'm sandy martinez i am a psychologist and i have been working in the florida department of corrections for the past 18 years with inmates from minimal custody all the way through death row. Okay. Well, today, this subject today, tonight, uh, whatever it is for anyone, um, is John, John Benet Ramsey. Uh, it's an unsolved homicide from the, uh, from 1996 of Christmas day. It has tremendous amount of information. The, the amount of suspects that are on this list are, also tremendous. Uh, you have a retired FBI agent. Uh, he's on this particular episode. He worked it. Um, and that's agent Clark. Uh, I got to tell you, it's an overwhelming amount of information to take in. Um, the suspect list listed itself. I mean, there's not a bad suspect on the list, you know, uh, Todd Fuss, yeah, this Michael uh, Helgorth, and then this this guy Gary Oliva, uh, which really shocked me because he, if anyone fits the bill, that guy fits the bill. But again, he's exonerated. What for DNA? Right, no DNA match for this guy. So yeah, that's what they're saying. I don't know. Let's let's start with this. I here's where I want to begin. This we're going to start with Jason, uh, Detective White. You, you know, this crime scene. What what are your thoughts on this? Well, the, the the crime scene, of course, I think it's pretty well known throughout the throughout the world that has studied this case is that the crime scene wasn't handled uh, the way it's supposed to be via the textbook way. Uh, a lot of that's going to be attributed to a city that is never really uh, faced with this type of a crime. I, I, well, I won't say never, but it's a very, very uh, small amount of homicides that occur within their jurisdiction. And when you have one of this kind of a complexity, where you have a ransom, possible kidnapping of a child and or a murder of a child, uh, that's that's going to be a very, very special type of a, of a case to be working with, not to mention the fact of the publicity that's going to come your way, that's going to have that external pressures that exist on a homicide investigation that can really be distracting. That would include pressures from media, social interest groups, and just really all of the armchair quarterbacks and specialists that are going to say you're not doing this or doing that. I I can't even imagine the immense pressure. So what are the problems that happen within this case straight out of the box? Well, they showed up at the scene and they didn't they didn't uh, get the people out of there to uh, to basically keep that crime scene secure. 
Uh, I, I listen. I, I've been a cop for a long time, and I've showed up on crime scenes, and I've and I'm walked in there, and I've been like, "Why are these people in the house?" You know, when you get there, that still happens to this day, to an extent, on some type of crime scenes that you might show up on. So this isn't something new, and 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 I think that at that time, I think that the Denver or the Boulder Police, rather, I think that they. Uh, were kind of standing around and they were just trying to get the information to start with. And they didn't uh, remove the people from the house and, and take them downtown while maybe a contingency of crime scene, you know, get a waiver to a search waiver to be able to go through the entire house from top to bottom and see if they can find any clues. I don't think that there was anything that was uh, nefarious in there, in you know, on the police side. I mean, I, I don't think that by basically one of the things that they asked the Ramseys to do was to uh, specifically John that I that I that I remember is that look around and see if you see anything that's out of place. I think that it would probably behoove them to be with him when they were going through the house and just kind of walking with him, as opposed to letting him walk through the house freely. Uh, but but so th- that's that's another problem. And, and, you know, you just can't do that. And then uh, it's just inexperience, really. I, I, I really and then then you take the inexperience of that. And I think that you have a little bit of an ego with the police department where maybe they should have recognized relatively early that this is a case far, far beyond their expertise. And they probably should have reached out to the uh, to the state police to 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 step in and help them with their efforts on this particular situation i would agree because when he when when i heard them say go check the house and he had no chaperone i was shocked i was like what because typically in and i've you know i heard it in the docuseries i've heard it in many other docuseries or the documentary i'm sorry um it's usually the the parents to look at so why would they let him walk around unattended? Hypothetically speaking, he committed the murder. Now they're giving him the ability to go clean up what he needs to clean up. And then, well, honestly, just to add to that, I, I don't think that their initial thought right there, straight out of the gate before the body was found, I don't think that it even dawned on them that that the parents could have had anything to do with this at all, really. Right. So therefore, to them, I think that they're just kind of like letting them walk freely through the house or whatever. And everybody, just like I've seen, I saw something where where John Ramsey John Ramsey said. You know, there was people cooking, you know, making toast in the kitchen and there's other people cleaning the cleaning the dishes and wiping off countertops with Windex, you know, stuff like that. They just weren't thinking like that. And the Ramseys, of course, are not if that's where we are wrong as the police. If we just explain what we need people to do and why we need them to do it, people will understand that the Ramseys aren't used to a situation like this. Of course, they've never had a child abducted and possibly taken from the house, et cetera, et cetera. They don't have a lot of experience dealing with the police. So the police really should have taken control of that scene at that very moment. And if the Ramseys decided that they didn't want to, uh, to give them a voluntary search waiver, then they should have been working on a search warrant at that point. Right. Right. Just to be able to examine the scene. Yeah. Because they are treating it as a kidnapping. And you know, brings me to that ransom letter. That was very odd places to put it on a stairwell. Like almost like whoever put it there knew that they would see it because what's the first thing they walked to. I mean, it was a really, and then I'm look, I'm no expert on, uh, on, you know, writing, I'm not going to, it's just, but I, if you look at the letter, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the, in the letter. I, I don't see it. It looked like a panic letter. Like it was thrown together. Uh, and we'll get deeper into it because you know, the, the signature on it with victory and the initials. And then later on it, uh, they're, they're trying to attach it to this, this charismatic psychopath. who's running a cult. Uh, the whole thing is strange. I mean, it's, it was bizarre to me. So I'm going to go to Sandy, Sandy, 
the behavior of the father in, in all the clips you see. What is that? Is there anything telling for you? So I, I kind of wish they would kind of stay a little bit longer with him sometimes um, when they would be interviewing him, but they only show brief moments. And so it's really hard. There's times where he does, I think when they're talking, what do they call him? Iceman or something like that. Right. I think initially um, they had termed him as being an Iceman because he seemed really distant. But then there's a moment later when they're talking and he, his eyes water up and everything. So he actually shows a pretty broad range, which is, that's why I wish they would have kind of stayed with him longer each clip. But if you notice, they don't really. And so it's kind of hard because he doesn't always consistently respond. Does it make sense? There are times where, you know, and even when he kind of, they're like, well, what do you think about that? Oh, wow, that's, you know, that's impressive. You know what I mean? Right. He doesn't really elaborate. It's really short, which is, I don't know. If you were asking me about my child, I probably would rattle on. Because when you're in an emotional state, you tend to kind of go off a little bit like on a tangent. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm, I'm, I was always kind of surprised that he was just like a one word response, you know? I mean, I, I, so know, I, don't know. I know people like, you know, my father, for example, when my uncle passed away, uh, he doesn't show emotion in crowds. I don't know what it's a weird pride. He's very private about his sadness. Um, where B, I'm just, whatever, whatever I feel at that moment, it's out in the open, especially when it has to do with family or, or something of that nature. Um, so if some people, they, they experience it differently. Uh, that's why I kind of wish they would have stayed there longer. So that way you kind of can see, you know, so it's really hard to tell because there are people like that. They are very private and they're proudful and they will at all costs hold everything inside. Um, but then at, at the same time, though, later on, he is willing to show that emotion. So that's what I'm saying is kind of inconsistent. He kind of didn't stay, you know, that well, you know, reserved, constrained individual through and through. So, you know, like you're talking about, you know, in your family, I'm sure he kind of stays that way always. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. He's it really just doesn't express any kind of feelings or concern in a crowd, I would say. I don't know what he does privately with his wife, but. Exactly. So in this case, you know, I'm going to assume that would be like a crowd because he knows that it's being, you know, filmed, right? Right. So he knows that multiple people, obviously many people will be looking at this. But at, there's another time where he's, his eyes water and he does show that emotional, you know, connection, did you get an opportunity to look at this? Uh, it's uh, and we didn't get a lot of him, uh, other than what they expressed about him. But there were a few. I mean, only really one clip where they approach him in the car is a Scott Carruthers guy. He's the uh, the beta cult leader. What did you make of that guy? Yeah, he. Gosh, um, it's funny because I mean, he does come across as a very a huge narcissist. Um, <laughs> and is, you know, what I mean, and that's why, you know, I could kind of see him writing that letter. I know they, they were tying him to the letter. If you look at the letter, it has that flair of narcissism, you know what I mean? Um, th but you can tell them like in the letter, it seems like they're trying to prove themselves. Right. And so they, at the same time, they're kind of insecure and they have like some sort of like 
they don't want to be seen as inferior, right? right. Um, so it's like a competition. If you look at that letter, that's kind of how I felt when I looked at it. And with him, he has a narcissist and I felt like, you know, he wants to prove himself, but in that short, brief um, clip where they were trying to talk to him in the car and, you know, and they talk about aliens and he's like, well, do you? He's like, well, no, neither do I. Yeah. But he, he redirected there. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't know, like some, some of the, the bizarre thinking and the delusions, I do see that in patients <laughs> that actually are delusional. They, um, they tend to be very, they tend to be like religious and they'll tie in different religions and the them together. And it's enough truth. That's kind of like confusing. Cause you're like, Oh, well that is true. But then they don't really connect well. You know what I mean? So like him taking parts of Kabbalah and this, that and the other and kind of feed, piecing it together. Actually, I have seen patients with delusional disorders do that. Yeah. There's people, there's a video I watched them years ago where uh, a very charismatic person was uh, proposing a test and without saying names or, or, you know, utilizing the name of the religion, uh, a small number of people, he, he approached him about this religion and the end of the day, about eighty percent of them were like, "Yeah, that sounds like you know, like something I would be interested in." But they didn't realize that he was talking about the Jedi for the Jedi Knights. <laughs> so, but people, but people were willing to subscribe to it. He just he was smart. He didn't utilize the name of the religion. He just spoke about their their philosophy, and people seem to be on board with it. Uh, scary business. So when you have this guy who comes off very firm nar and a narcissist and he, it's, even the way he presents himself, just in that small clip I saw of him, you could see mm -hmm. in his redirect and his, he's very firm in, in his stance. Of course. Yeah. He's persuading a lot of people, uh, you know, I don't want to say, you know, dumb people, but fragile minded people, people looking for answers. Uh, so then they, they came to the conclusion that the, uh, the, the letters on the note that signed by were, and it did line up with him. Uh, but then it made me wonder, did they, is he a scapegoat? Are they trying to blame him? Cause this woman happened to know one of the people involved. It's such a weird story. It really is. Leslie, what'd you make of this story? I'm not sure what part you mean, but I'd like to speak uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit about John and, uh, what I saw, and definitely he was subdued, quiet, pretty straightforward. And uh, I know that the officers, they are trying to assess a situation when they get there, and the reaction of the people involved does play into their kind of view of what may have taken place. And we saw in the Scott Peterson case that when Scott didn't act in a way that they thought was appropriate for someone. Then suddenly he became suspicious as far as a, uh, a suspect. Um, obviously, Patsy was much more animated, much more verbal, uh, much more emotional. But as a person, I think John was pretty much described as not being especially involved with the kids' activities, more of a go-to-work provide for the family, come home and, you know, be a, a responsible husband and father, but not especially someone who you would think would be animated and especially under those circumstances. 
I I was going to ask Jason if um, do you consider it a crime scene if it's a kidnapping? Because I know initially uh, they didn't expect it to be a crime scene in terms of location of a murder because they just came out thinking they had a kidnapping. I don't know. Do you also then remove everyone from the house? I suppose you would, because if you thought you had an intruder, you wouldn't want anything disturbed. Um, I did think it odd considering the circumstances that uh, John was encouraged to go with, I think, a friend of his to go through the house and happened to go down into the basement and then disturb the body as we saw, which was crazy. It's understandable. Let's say he was not a suspect in the crime. He was just reacting emotionally to his daughter being in that situation and wanting to kind of preserve her and care for her by bringing her upstairs. But just seems like you'd know to leave the body alone and let someone know. Um, it's It was a very interesting case. The, the ransom note brings up so many questions, the length of it, the contents, the way it was written, starting out sort of demanding and then sort of ending up with kind of pleading with John about you have to make this decision and um, very strange just from the amount of money that they were demanding um, and then the references to the movies and that they used the paper from the household, all very odd. Who would take that much time to do that when you, if you went in there to do a kidnapping, you'd want to get in and out without being detected and to sit there and write a note uh, for which would probably take at least 20 minutes. Uh, it's, it's just all very suspicious, which of course I'm sure led them to suspect the parents well, I'll, I'll I'll answer your question just for a minute. Is and that was you'd asked what would we consider this a crime scene straight out of the gate? Well, I think that when you look at the circumstances with in which this call came into the police, absolutely. I mean, she talks about uh, they 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 know about this letter straight away. So when you take that in conjunction with a six year old that's missing, then you're automatically going to go and this should be a crime scene. To the, to the max. I mean, that's that's what I would assume that we would do here in Tulsa or any other major city police department that's got any kind of experience with this, with any. Listen, fortunately, most of us that do this business don't have a lot of experience with this type of a particular crime. It's super rare to be abducting a child. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's but it's not something that many officers have to deal with. Uh, throughout this country, thank heavens. But but in this particular case, based on the circumstances and based on the evidence that was found by Patsy Ramsey as far as the letter on the stairs and, and letting law enforcement know that right away, this absolutely should have been considered a major crime scene, so to speak, not necessarily a homicide scene, but a major crime scene. And and because I could see it if the child was like a juvenile where the cops might show up and consider that oh, this might be a runaway or this might be uh, you know one of those deals where the kid's taken off on their own. Uh, that's that's completely different. But when you take the totality of the circumstances based on the age of the kid, I think you have to automatically assume that there's something seriously wrong here. 
And and that's 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 would be I would that would be my response to you in reference to that. I agree that that letter again. Uh, and here's this is just what I this is my personal perspective. Either um, the person who wrote it had a poor education because the handwriting mm-hmm. was atrocious. Uh, so I know the father didn't write because I had the ability to look at some of his writings. The guy wrote well. I mean, this guy made a lot of money in his career. He's you know he roasted it. He's a what a, a very powerful entrepreneur. Or a panicked somebody that's writing that letter. Put it like, oh, I didn't want this kid to die. And, you know, we were always supposed to hold it hostage, et cetera, et cetera. Because um, the eyes, that stood out to me. The letter I, throughout that letter, all of it, very inconsistent. Now, the, the, the striking wasn't the same. Uh, the line in the eye wasn't the same. So to me, it seems like someone wrote it panicked. But the other part, 118,000, really specific number. Really specific, and if you listen on later, a gentleman that was interviewed by by uh by you know the the FBI agent retired, and then I believe uh, detectives then uh, it was alleged that there was going to be sixty thousand fifty to sixty thousand per individual. Now that tells me three people. If he said I'm going to come in like uh, it's this Michael uh, help uh, what is it how work. Helfer, uh, Helper, Helper, or, Helper, yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. He's the burglar, the neighborhood burglar. Right. He ends up dead after a news, he, mm-hmm. allegedly, and so you're hearing fifty to sixty thousand. So sixty thousand times three, you get you get that hundred eighty, hundred eighteen thousand. Right. That's where that comes to. It tells me there's three people involved. Three people are going to split one hundred eighteen thousand, and that equates to what the sixty case runs up to. Tells me there are three people involved. Um, for someone to break into what I think that that lower window, uh, I, and I'm not familiar with those. That must be a northern thing. I've never seen uh, a setup like that before, where you climb into this thing and there's a window below. There was a suitcase prop there, a scuff on the wall, where clearly someone climbed up. Yeah, there had to been more than one person involved, in my opinion. Uh, and outside of that, I think... Law enforcement should have took note at. Uh, they should have stood out right away. One hundred eighteen thousand is very, very specific. Uh, I'm not sure if they knew what his account was or how they have it arranged. But then you drive back to this guy Scott Carruthers, is this who's hired hitmen in the past failed, uh, has hired people to abduct young uh, young girls in the past. Uh, you know, typical cult leader. You know, it's all about me, and I have four wives, et cetera, et cetera. It's such a bizarre case, and it breaks my heart that this little girl's essentially not resting in peace. So, Jason, you're on the scene, and you come across this letter. You see this very specific number. You find these items in the house, like the suitcase up to a wall, scuff in the wall. And here's the other thing, too. The home alarm is not set that night. Did they ever mention if they normally set it or if that was an odd occasion? It sounded like rarely they set it or... Just once in a while. I was curious about that, too. I thought this was especially an affluent area of Boulder, which maybe Boulder is all affluent. But uh, I thought, well, maybe it's a gated community. But when I looked at the pictures, it doesn't look like it was a gated community. It was just one of many in the neighborhood. And uh, Well, it's not it, gated. I, I've driven by there like probably three years ago when I was up there to interview somebody in Colorado in a Colorado prison. It's not gated, and uh, it's readily accessible to just anybody, actually. But it is a very affluent area. Boulders like that, so yeah, they seem lax. I mean, we're talking the '90s, and even in the '90s where I lived in, uh, and I'm pretty sure Sandy knows what I'm talking about. The East Lake area, 
where there's virtually no crime, uh, but even the people I knew there growing up, their doors were locked. Alarms mm-hmm. were on, and even though it no crime. So were they more lax? Perhaps so. Um, well, I think obviously they were more relaxed because they had a number of people that paraded through their house like the night before. Uh, it was like I couldn't tell you how many people walked through that house, but they had their house open to people to walk through their house. It was like almost like a parade of homes kind of deal mm-hmm. uh, to look at people's homes around Christmas time in the area. And so I remember something along those lines where they had a number of people that walked through there, like a big giant party or whatever it was. So easily somebody could have managed to get down into the basement and unlocked the window for a future visit or, or who knows. But I can tell you just from my own perspective, and this is my own personal thing. When this thing happened a long, long time ago, and this is before I was a cop, I, I, I really just, you know, I, to me, I just really wasn't. This is my own speculation back then. I really didn't think the parents were involved. It just didn't look right to me. And all of these years since, I really haven't. I have really haven't considered either one of them. They, now, I do think that that Patsy. I don't look at their reactions in their interviews as being anything really significant to me. Uh, and and the reason what I'm what I'm taking that off of is that people react differently. You know, the husband's going to react different than than this than maybe the wife. And I don't blame the wife for being pissed off, really, for basically getting ac- accused, essentially, with some really pointed questions. So I, I really didn't see that. I honestly didn't believe that they weren't trying to be forthcoming. Of course, they're going to be panicked and they're going to start getting attorneys because they're starting to see the writing on the wall that, oh, my gosh, they're thinking we did this and they're going to come after us. And, and sometimes when that happens, you know, it, you're 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 in you're in big problems. And and, uh, you know, I know it's innocent until proven guilty and that's the way things are supposed to roll. But. I think everybody has, especially uh, Sandy can probably agree with me on this. That you've heard many a stories where people, you know, they, once you're locked up, it's really a tough, uh, tough road to to go down to to prove your innocence, so to speak. So I think that that's going to be another issue that you have to contend with as well. I agree. The letter, everybody will tell you, all the experts and stuff will stand up and say that letter. It's the letter. Now, when you look at Patsy's writing, they, it's inconclusive. I mean, they, they there was an expert that I watched today in one of these videos. It could be her, and then again, it could be somebody else. And that's mm-hmm. what they said in the grand jury. The thing that stands out to me is not necessarily the I, Adam. What stands out to me is the A. Nobody freaking writes that A, period. It's, right. it's one of those type from a typewriter. I mean, nobody writes that A. And, of course, there was the regular A, small, small case A, and then that weird a and i've written it before but that weird a that nobody writes you know and that's the one that i thought was weird clearly in the letter it looks like somebody's trying to mask this uh that they're trying to alter the writing or whatever to me either that or or the letters are really weird what i will tell you that's kind of an interesting little fun experiment to do and i learned this a long time ago from a handwriting expert kind of like not necessarily a person that compares letter but it's like detect this lady she was an expert at detecting the deception in oral and written statements and one of the things that i remember her talking to me about was really interesting and you if you take this letter and you do the same thing with what i'm about to tell you is take that letter and turn it upside down and when you take letters that have been written by people that have written ransom letters or even witness statements so to speak, like a rape victim that might write out a, a witness statement or any of those type of writ- written witness statements is turn them upside down and look at them because you will automatically be able to tell the the, the pattern, the writing patterns of where it, they're really nervous or it's really different, you know, kind of a deal. And it really stands out, especially when it's upside down. Huh. Now, I say this when I when I say this, I, I say this to say 
Another thing, this isn't something that you can walk into the court and go, hey, this person's lying right here, and it starts at this paragraph because this is where the writing gets all jacked up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that these could be clues. When you look at statements like that, and you look at this letter too, but when you look at when you look at statements like this and you see the writing patterns change dramatically, that might be an area to focus in on because that's the area where they're really kind of lying or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is a completely different type of a case than what I'm talking about, though, here, because we're talking about the number $118,000 for this bonus. Who in the heck would have known that? You know, I don't know. There's a lot of really, really impressive experts that I'm sure that have looked at this particular case from the FBI profilers, which I don't know what their success rate is. I really don't know, but I would love to know what their profile was in reference to this specific killer. They're not always right. I know that that's a newsflash, but they're not always right. But I certainly would like to also know what is their profile in reference to this particular type of a killer? What are their thoughts on it? First of all, it's a rans- It's a kidnapping for ransom. And I, I don't have a list of all the crimes that the FBI jumps in on straight out of the gate. But I would think that this is one of those that they are all over, you know. Right. That I, I'm thinking that this is their jurisdiction to an extent. Maybe it's not because they weren't a part of this. It doesn't look like from from the, from the early onsets of this case. But you would think that a ransom, a, a ransom kidnapping of a child would fall under the jurisdiction of the FBI to some extent. I don't know. I think that the I think not only are the detectives a little bit a little bit at fault here after realizing what the significance of this case is. I think that you have to also take a little bit of the blame and focus that towards their administration for not making the proper decision above them to make an executive decision that we need that those guys, our detectives are going to need help here. I mean, I don't know what the numbers of cases that each one of these homicide detectives, I don't even know if they have a homicide unit per se. They probably have more of a major crimes unit, honestly. I doubt that they have a homicide unit, but but I would say a major crimes unit, which is probably a catch-all for all of the, from grand larcenies to a burglary to a robbery, maybe. You know, that's probably what they focus on their investigations, and there's probably two or three of them that do it. So... But I, I think that there's a lot of people to blame in this particular case. There's a lot of things that jump out to me. And and really, at the end of the day, when we're looking at this case, to, you know, you've got DNA there. And and one of the things that I've and I'm going to just t- talk one more minute and then I'll, I'll give it to somebody else. I promise. <laughs> the other thing that, that jumps out to me real quick that I at least want to mention is that DNA. And years ago, when I found out about that DNA existing, it's it's like in three places. It's like on the underwear. I think some uh, there's there's like three spots on or maybe on one of the thighs. Right. Things like that. But it's the same person that they, they believe. And it may even it's the same contributor to this DNA. And I thought years ago, I thought, well, why don't they just do some forensic genealogy? Just do the snapshot Parabon DNA and do the forensic genealogy from there. And here we go. Let's start researching who this is. I mean, that's probably how a lot of these killers are getting caught. I mean, I'm sure that the, that the Long Island killer came from that, the Idaho killer. This is going to be from forensically looking in family trees. My guess is that the quality of this DNA is not even close to being to that level to where they're able to do that that technology. Otherwise, they would have done it. I agree. Three years ago. I agree. Because, you know, I, the, the argument with a couple of people I'd spoken to is, um, again, they brought up the 118,000. I'm like, well, you know, three ways uh, is 180,000. If they're talking 60,000, if it's 50,000, you're talking 150,000. So if there's three people involved, um, obviously someone's getting a lesser cut, which I think the guy that committed suicide is the lesser cut. Uh, he did have high tech boots on, but they were not the same size. He did have a stun gun. 
uh, on his person. He did own a mag flashlight that they found there that he no longer had it. Uh, allegedly, it's his prized possession. And the DNA, the DNA is the, the curious part. You're right. The uh, the genealogy. Okay. Maybe. Well, I wanted to call. I wanted to. I, I've said it all along. I, I, I've talked about this case when we give tours around our office and I give tours. I talk about it every time. And I'm like, listen, I wanted to call Bolter PD personally, but I didn't want my boss going. Did you really call Bolter PD? Right. right. <laughs> well, this would have probably gotten a phone call going. Are you serious? You seriously called them because they have to be living under a rock not to know that you can do this. So I, I would just assume, and I'm sure that they have looked at this. I have no doubt in my mind that they probably, if they didn't, that's crazy. They they had to have uh, explored the option of doing pair bond snapshot DNA and, and doing some forensic. Well, here's the genealogy. thing. The fu- so John Ramsey pressured them for, uh, for more advanced DNA testing. Um, so much so that yeah. we're, we're, you know, we're talking in this guy, Gary Oliver, whatever uh, John Ramsey hired a PI to watch this guy. I'm not sure why he had interest. They didn't really state it in the documentary. I didn't see it anywhere else, but he had some, something made him mentally think of this person. I find out later that that guy was receiving his mail, like 13 houses away from the Ramsey home through a church. Uh, so, well, I'll tell you how his name came up is there was a guy that basically called the cops literally either the day of this murder or the next day. And he says, Hey, listen, you need to know this, that this guy called me, his name is Gary Oliva. And I know him. I went to high school with him and he called me in the early AM hours and said that he had killed a little, or he hurt a little girl on the very day that this thing happened. And this is before this had even been public knowledge. That's why he was on the radar from the very early onset of this thing. And then from there, this guy that called this, this tip in, you know, this is his claim of it, and there's a there's actually a video on it that's on YouTube that just came out recently, and it's and it's one with uh, somebody on Court TV. I can't remember the the guy's name, but it was a Court TV interview, and, yeah. and on that he talks about how he, they never came and interviewed me. You know, they never even bothered to come to interview me. So that's 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 where that name came up originally. It makes me wonder why they didn't look further into him. I mean, I guess DNA exonerated him, right? I mean, but then you know, if you look at this case, so. Th- the other thing too, fibers from her clothing were found inside the suit. The fibers of the clothing she was wearing were found inside a suitcase that was in the room, propped against the wall. Was her body small enough to fit in there? I don't know. I mean, you only got a picture of the suitcase. Um, Sandy, let me ask you a question. You're if someone's in, th- this guy Gary gives me the impression that he had an obsession with with John Benet Ramsey, and maybe that's what. Part of the reason John took a, a further look, maybe he was doing more than what the public is made known to. But when you get these guys in prison and they have obsessions with outside people, how often is it that you you come across people in prison taking claims for things they didn't do? Is that is that a common thing? Actually, not that much. Um, at least it hasn't been my experience. Um, they have these cards, like game cards, that they have like, um, <laughs> they use them um, to see if, like, if any of the inmates recognize um, the perps and the victims. And it's kind of weird because they'll be like, "Oh, I know this," you know what I mean? And so they'll actually—it's like playing cards, believe it or not. And they have faces and th- to see if they can identify. And I have never—I have seen some that have claimed that they've done more crimes like i've i've 
been on death row. Some of the inmates there have claimed more victims than what they actually, you know, were sentenced for. They were charged with. Um, I have seen that, but not like, not fixated like that. They don't continue the fixation um, with somebody like that. I have, I don't think I've ever seen that. It's bizarre. Yeah. Because that guy, when they arrested this Gary guy, he had photos of Jean Bernay, uh, probably from media photos. He had uh, a poem he wrote for her. He had a stun gun in his possession because on her body, on her face and on her back were, uh, were stun gun marks or less. That's what we're assuming. Anyway, they're burn marks. Um, her, her murder was, it's not, here's where I run into this problem with this letter. Uh, and it's this number that they use and et cetera. It's seeming like it wants to be uh, a kidnapping, but I'm thinking they're, they're using it to shield ultimately uh, what they did wrong. They're like, well, cause she was stun gunned. She was strangled and then struck with a, with a, a blunt object. It's pretty, uh, that's over the top. That's brutal. You know, and this is a tiny little girl. And well, and don't forget sexually assaulted and, and, and sexually assaulted. It. And yeah. this, this list of people we have, it seems to be the common thread of uh, minus Todd, um, the the original guy Todd, because there's two Todds here. There's uh, there's Aaron and Todd, the brothers, uh, Sholan from from Hawaii, uh, and then you have Todd Fuss, which Todd Fuss doesn't have really a background in pedophilia, but the majority of these other people on the list uh, are in and around this. And it's the, what makes this bizarre is that all these people could fit the bill. You know, this Todd Fuss guy, he had another, he was dating this woman. Her daughter was involved with these pageants. They were in the same place. Uh, he seemed to be really proud of her wins, or at least they, they, you know, they sensationalized that in the documentary. It's, I got to tell you, it's a bizarre thing. So this guy, Gary, has these photos of her and he's wrote her a poem. And his background's in pedophilia. They actually arrested him on child pornography. Um, and then he's made this confession, both in uh, a phone call and then letters, multiple letters to his old friend. And yet, I don't remember hearing his name once through media ever until recently. <laughs> so, it's- Well, I, w- I would like to say also, uh, I watched the same YouTube video that Jason did. And uh, from what this guy said, that was a friend of Gary's, he said he had called in that day as soon as he saw in the paper that... Jean Benet had been uh, murdered. Uh, her body had been found in Boulder. Uh, he he reported it and didn't hear anything from anyone for three months. Huh. No one ever contacted him. And he called back again three months later saying the same thing and was never contacted by anyone, which is really odd because like you, Adam, there were so many uh, things that pointed to him. I mean, the phone call, if that really happened, as his friend claimed to have happened, uh, that just seems way too coincidental. I mean, that uh, that he would they could put him in that same area living there during that time and that he confessed to it. Um, uh, it wasn't until I took some notes, but it wasn't until about four years later that he was arrested on uh, the University of Colorado campus, and they found those photos of Jean Benet still in his possession with that poem. It's creepy. That's creepy. You know, let's talk about some of these suspects. I'll ask Jason this one. This uh, Aaron and Todd, it's Sean Lu from Hawaii, where one of the brothers is in prison for, for murdering a little girl who 
ironically looks a lot like Jean Jean Vinay. Uh, another little girl was missing, and they alleged or they thought he had something to do with it. I don't. I'm not sure what the conclusion that was. Uh, did, do we know if they got DNA from either the either brother or? Because it would have to be taught. Oh, I'm, young... I'm sure. No, I'm sure that they have DNA from the both of them. I I just think that. But I but I will also tell you I can't I can't think of how many times I've heard of some killer that's been sitting in prison forever that his DNA is on file supposedly in CODIS, and yet they never got a hit from it. So I, I think that it may be something to where the authorities, if they haven't gotten a hit from him, I wouldn't necessarily trust that straight away. What I would do is I would contact those people that handle CODIS and say, let's make sure that that has been referenced against this person specifically. Uh, I don't know why there has been delays like that, uh, but I, but I have I have personally uh, seen I've, I've seen that happen where it just you're like why the heck didn't this guy freaking come up years ago and and I'm trying to think of a serial killer that this this was one of those instances where there was a pretty notorious serial serial killer o. that they Simpson. never got a hit off it of. no what do what OJ Simpson was uh, the so Glenn Rogers was hanging around OJ Simpson under a, he Glenn Rogers was using another name a, a victim he had killed he stole the guy's identity was actually painting a house for OJ or, or some and uh it, that's a I have a whole episode towards that but that itself cuz that Glenn guy uh if they would have like cued into this guy during the OJ thing there'd be a lot of people alive thereafter because that guy killed a lot of people after that but that's a good example well, well I'm just saying that I don't know, and I and here I am. I work in homicide right now, and there's going to be somebody that's going to type in and, and make me look stupid, I guess, probably at some point. But here's the deal: I'm sure there is something that I know that there's been times when we're like, "Hey, you need to run this guy again," and just double check. And they're like, "Oh, well, he's already he should already be in there." Well, you have to trust a lot of people to do the right thing here. You got to trust that the DOC people in the prison system is actually going to take the swab, take the time to do whatever the heck it is that they do to make sure that this thing gets entry into that. And that may, it may not have happened. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying anything against people that work in prisons, but I don't know what their policies or what they end up doing. Who knows? You know, that, that thing may not have even gotten in there. Furthermore, you know, let's hope it's the same person that's supposed to get swabbed that that swab ends up in an envelope sometime. You know, who knows? Right, I right. don't know. But I just if it's one of those people that is strongly one of those people that they have all of these things that come up, because in this particular homicide, I'm just going to say, and I'm not a criminal profiler at the FBI, but I, but I will tell you, I would guess that this person most certainly is going to have some child molestation or something along those lines at a minimum in his background. And then probably, I would guess, probably a murder later or either before or after. I mean, this is a pretty significant this is just my thought. This is a pretty significant type of a murder. I certainly wasn't thinking of the brother. I don't remember how old the kid was, but he was, I mean, I wasn't thinking that a 10-year-old is going to do this to his sister if he was around 10 or whatever. It just right. didn't strike me as something as plausible. But I don't know. The DNA is the key thing here. Either it's, either it's, it's, if they can exclude these people, then let's hope that the DNA is going to advance to a whole nother level. I mean, it, we never thought we'd be at a point where we can get a, pic, a picture of somebody based off of a DNA strand. And, and now we can uh, virtually a picture to show what the facial characteristics of a human being looks like based off of a DNA strand. So who knows in the near future, they may be able to, and I think that they have ways to construct DNA too and build it out further uh, based on whatever. I don't know. That's a scientist answer. Uh, a scientist would have to answer that. And DNA is is, is kind of 
it's a little bit more complex than I would be able to explain. Well, I'll tell you this, because I listen to a lot of documentaries. Science is already talking about taking your DNA, and if you, let's say you get into a car accident and lose a limb, they're talking about 3D printing your limb. They, they predict in the, wow. next, in the next decade this is going to be something to do. Well, let me mention this real quick, because I think this is something that I've always kind of toyed around with in my brain, and I don't know that it'll ever happen because, you know, humanity – they, they're always concerned about DNA. DNA is just like anything else. They don't like cameras through communities. They don't like anything where Big Brother's watching. They always have this concern that that people are going to reconstruct this person or whatever else based off DNA. But here's the thing. I've always kind of thought that it's it would be super helpful for us because there's much less restrictions when it comes to, to cities and their DNA databases and then states has a little bit more restrictions. And then, of course, you have the federal CODIS, which has a lot more restrictions, right? So I always thought that, you know, when you have these unattended deaths of, of people or anybody that goes to the medical examiner's office, let's just say, for a start, whether they be suicide or unattended deaths, that they that there's a swab of their blood, a blood card, because they go to the medical examiner's office and there's going to be a blood card of that person generally, that that gets turned into a property receipt. And maybe even a DNA done on it and just stuck in the local database to see if there's any hits from any other crimes that have happened previous. I'll tell you right now that the person that did this, had he never been arrested or something, or it was pre-days when they didn't, maybe it was back in the days when they didn't take DNA swabs from people. If this person's already dead, which is quite possible, the suspect in this case, you may never, ever, ever, ever figure out who this DNA belongs to because of that, you know, so... I don't know. I always thought it'd be interesting if we if we kind of upped upped the game a little bit and took the people's DNA when they die from suicide or whatever or one of those type of deaths and just had it stored in a database because you'd be surprised at how many crimes would be cleared based on that potentially. So yeah, this guy Michael Helgoff, uh, I didn't hear anything about DNA from him. I think they uh, because of the shoe size wrote him off. I don't think they well realized. they did they did they excluded him via DNA. But I, but he's he was kind of my favorite for all these years just because. For many reasons. Number one, I mean, I think that one of the things that was said was that 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 guy that worked with him in the in the wrecking yard is that. I thought it was like the way he put it, it sounded to me like this kid was going to do it with somebody else, like they were going to do it together and go do this burglary. And I've never heard of who this other person could have been, you know, and and that would be interesting to know how much they dove into his history to see who he was hanging around with and maybe did they get his phone because i thought it was interesting that he had the high the high tech boots and super interesting to me that he killed himself two like a day or two after the news conference had been held stating that they were narrowing in on a suspect you know this kid's not going to know what dna they have or not maybe it's possible that he was there with somebody else and this other somebody that he was there with did this it's very you know? so, and that maybe maybe it's right there in front of him and that's that's a that's a possibility this is pretty common with people in that age group and in that area i, I looked this up how many people are buying high-tech boots in that area in the 90s big number big number of people i know because i owned a pair when i was in, in a kid you know so the point well, I'm he making, was a burglar in that specific area too yes. that, that, that that bears mentioning and so he had a, a group of friends that were questionable, probably wore the same boots. If they're in coordination about this crime, if they're planning a crime, the way this guy comes off to me with the mag light and the way they're thinking, let's all put our high tech boots on. You know, it's not impossible. They coordinated this. And you're right. There is possibly someone that we no one's even bothered looking at his circle of people, at least not what I've heard. Right. And well, one would hope one so, would hope. So let's do this. Let's uh, let's say Jason 
White gets a phone call from uh, FBI. So, look, man, we want to put a task force together, right? And you pick up Sandy as a psychologist to interview the, the people once they're brought in along with you. Where do you start this this investigation? Like, I watched this guy. Uh, he came into it. Uh, he's a retired FBI agent, and he seemed to know all the right things. But I, I have to bear in mind he's on television, and they're probably giving him cues of what he should or shouldn't do for effect. But for you... You have your team. Uh, where do you start as a cold case in this? Well, you've got to you've got to completely just dissect the case and go through it and comb through it from from the from the all of the files. You need to go through everything and make sure that it's organized for starters. In this particular case, I saw more volumes of books on this on this case than I you know when they just showed a, a, a breakaway, and I'm seeing. 15 books that are thick. I can't, I've never seen a case that's that massive. That is an incredible amount of work. I, I, the one thing that gives me hope here in this particular case is that there's still people that are working it. People that were friends of that other detective or relatives of his, his own, his own granddaughters actually. And, and people are still sitting around a table people that have been prior homicide detectives that are sitting around and they're actually dedicating their life to this to actually work it because this case very easily could be sitting on a shelf in Boulder PD's room and not even touched. Okay. That's just the realism of it. So the first thing you do is you take these cases and you take the case books and you go through it piece by piece and preserve everything in those books. Because I'm telling you right now that if this stuff was typed, used a typewriter was used those letters off that typewritten paper it falls off over a matter of years trust me i've i've experienced this from old cases they disappear you've got to preserve it digitally scan this stuff in save all of the photos that are off of floppy disk because that's probably floppies back then i know there were floppies because i still had they had floppies when i was around so you you have that that that's going on then you have anything that's cd you just need to digitize everything right. including interviews then painstakingly go through each item of evidence and let's just go through here and let's see what has been tested and what hasn't been tested. I saw something just in researching this that they found a handful of items of evidence that had not been tested. I can't even believe that that's possible at this point, 25 years later, maybe 27 years later, and yet there's still uh, a few pieces of evidence that they have discovered that haven't been tested, which that Personally, I'm actually stoked about it because yeah. maybe something will come from it. Hopefully. But that's what you're going to find, and you're going to see. And, and you have a, have, a, have a team together of this, not just one person, a team of people. That way they kind of catch one another to make sure it's like a fail-safe to make sure that this person is doing what they need to be doing and, and, and that they don't miss something too. Because one person looking at a case – is one thing, but another person looking at the same photos, they may perceive things differently than this person. So it's also helpful to do that. And, and, and that's what I would recommend. And not that they, if they ever put a task force together, I can promise you, I'm not going to be the call that they're going to make. But if they, if they did put one together, that's what I would insist upon. It's not, you're not building a rocket here. This is not that complicated. You just basically, it's a complicated case. I'm not saying this case is not complicated, we're talking about a different era. No audio, or there's no there's no cameras on uh, neighborhood cameras like they have nowadays. You you have cameras on major intersections and highways in some in some of these major cities today. They're called flock cameras. That didn't exist back then. You didn't have the cell phone technology that you do today, to where you would be able to do things like cell cell phone tower dumps and to get every number that goes through a 
cell phone tower, maybe, or whatever other electronic data that exists out there in the world that I won't get into because it's kind of secret stuff, but, but stuff that they are able to do that they didn't have that back then. You know, they had to rely upon witnesses and, and maybe getting a fingerprint and, and really DNA back then. And what year was this? 96, 96 DNA was still in its infancy in a courtroom. Yeah. You actually had to, you actually have, uh, you had to fight it to get in a courtroom. It was almost, I mean, the, yeah. I yeah. mean, look at the OJ case. The OJ case was in 94. You know, the, the DNA was a it's it's hard for for anybody to wrap their head around. Even today, if you're a detective, it's still complicated stuff. So that they even knowing how to properly package items back then, you want to make sure that those items weren't weren't not even if they were not handled appropriately back then for future DNA testing, then you may need to consider repackaging those items into another package potentially, because if they weren't put in paper, you could be having some serious problems with degrading or mold or things along that nature. So well, let's do a rule. I don't know, out. It's a big, big undertaking. Let's do a rule out. We'll start with, uh, we'll start with Leslie, Leslie, Gary. Uh, is it Oliva? How do you say it? Oliva? Oliva. Oliva. I think it's Oliva. All right. So let's rule out. Do you think he has something to do with it or is he just someone well, who's obsessed? Well, he's definitely up at the top I guess of my list of people I would think is uh, quite possibly responsible, except for the DNA. So, right. what does that tell you? I mean, that uh, rules him out. I mean, he's just one of these people that saw the headlines and became obsessed. Right, Sandy, uh, Gary, is he? Is he? Is on your list? Is, are we ruling this guy out? I mean, for me, if you're going to. I like to always be objective. If DNA ruled him out, then yeah, I'd rule him out. Right. So now let's let's talk about the two brothers, um, Aaron and Todd. Well, we know it's not Aaron. He was in prison when it happened. Todd happened to move the area, worked odd ends jobs. He was also implicated in a lot of violent crime, alleged that he had uh, some some pedophilia or something with children. I mean, it's 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 hard to say. Maybe I mean between the two of them. They can't be that far different. So, let, are you? Do we rule these guys out? We now, now I know DNA ruled them out. So we rule them out. Yeah, I think if if DNA's ruled them out, I would rule them out. Um, you know, having dealt with a lot of pedophiles in prison, um, they are capable of some pretty heinous crimes, um, and I'm sure Jason hopefully has not come across many of them, but wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, I always, when I was looking at the letter in this entire case, I was always trying to be like, all right, what's a different angle that you can come out. And so I even was like, well, what if you had somebody dictating to somebody else to write the letter? And that's why there's like that, some of the misspelling and things like that, the way it's written, because what if I was telling somebody to write Right. They would have not really captured everything. So, you know, when they were saying there was more than one person, maybe there really was. One person was telling the other person what to write. And then I started playing with the 118, and you were talking about three people and everything. So what if you said, instead of saying 180, they registered 118, and there you got 118. Right. I don't know. Right. Because 180. That was, a, that was a big question for you, because if it's being split three ways and the 118 doesn't compute to three ways at 60K, nor does it do that at 50K, which means someone took a lesser pay, but maybe you're right. Maybe maybe who dictated the letter to them 
they heard 118, what really they should have wrote 180. Because what was verbally promised to one guy, because remember, a witness said, oh, I'm going to come in like 50 or 60,000 or something of that nature. The, the math isn't there, but you're right. Maybe they were dictated, the letter was dictated, and they misheard it or just miswrote it or misremembered it, which leads me back to, so real quick, Jason, uh, Gary, Aaron, and Todd, the brothers, we, we're, we're ruling those guys out, right? Well, the... You know, I don't know a whole lot of the history behind this, too. The first person I'm going to be rolling out is anybody that works in the lab that might have done some DNA testing on these items in addition to the police officers that may have had any kind of part in collecting this evidence. I mean, is it possible that somebody might have got DNA contaminated any of these items? And we're, we're searching for we're pissing up a rope here and we're not we're not going to find out whoever this person is, because it could be a. It's been known that where somebody could have contaminated an item per se. This is the nineties in the nineties and, or at least in the eighties for sure. You would see people. I, I was just sitting in on listening to uh, somebody from the night stalker case and, and you see crime scene photos of them touching things with no gloves on. Yeah. So the, that would, that would be the first thing that I would do is I would get DNA from everybody that had any involvement touching anything in this case, just to make sure that it's not a possibility that there was something that might have been contaminated. That's easy to do. It should be done. And that way it'll answer that question for the future. And then as far as any of these other people, as far as I'm concerned, the DNA is important because the locations of where the DNA is located, the inner thigh, the underwear, and and if memory serves, and I don't remember seeing this, and I don't want to say something incorrectly, but I could have swore I heard something that the garrote had had a little bit of trace DNA on it as well. That was oh, There was three areas, I know that. Right. The neck or the garrote or something like that. That right there, uh, let's let's that those are the three main things to me, the DNA. And of course the letter, I mean, that thing's been exhaustively looked at. I'm sure they've, they've done DNA or uh, they've done fingerprint examinations on that. Apparently there's nothing because we would have heard something by now, I would think. Yeah. But, but I would, that's, that's what I would say. I think anybody, we, we have to focus on the DNA at this point. The, the, you know what the great example of this whole thing is, is that this is a great example on how to handle a crime scene or how not to rather. And it's it should be the case that's taught in every single police academy across this country on this is something of not you don't do it this way. OK, and I'm not and I'm not trying to I'm not attacking the cops there because they I don't think they knew any better, really. But but this is a great example of that and how to collect evidence appropriately and do all this, that and the other and, and how to really stop everything and keep the media at bay. <laughs> You know, yeah, the so media- I, I really don't exclude anybody. I, I but but if they, if the DNA came back in there, they've been excluded via that, then I wouldn't probably be wasting my time on anything other than continuing to dig and find out who could have been knowing people who would, may have been in that house or, or that, that that road. Financially speaking or mastermind speaking, this Scott Carruthers guy, uh, he was. We know to a certainty through plane records and, and eyewitness statement that he was between Maryland and, and Colorado often, so much so that it's being alleged that he attended the same church as the Ramsey family during uh, the Christmas thing, and he could have been using that to scout out, uh, dare I say, victims, and then utilize weaker minds to, to, and this is what he does. He pays paid people money to do certain things. And he very well could have masterminded. So this Todd Fuss guy does not seem to me like a mastermind, period. There's no way. Uh, the Michael Helgorth guy, he, there's, he's definitely no mastermind. So someone was influencing them. And I think 
So if, if I had to run it through my head, this guy finds this girl. She's a beauty pageant winner. She's a beautiful little girl, probably going to honor whatever deity he was worshiping uh, or alien for that matter, and said, I want this girl, and this is the way we're going to do it. And then perhaps, like Sandy said, maybe dictated a, a, a kidnap letter to them, which so, even saying this out loud, it's so it's such a bizarre case, you know, that all the people involved, I, I still, the one thing I still don't see other, other than, you know, uh, sexual deviance, I still don't see the motive. That's the part I'm, I'm, I'm fumbling on. I still don't see the motive for what happened to him outside of being a sexual assault. Yet uh, the person that did this had the presence of mind to write this, this letter and use this very specific number, which he may or may not got wrong. It's so strange. So let's look at, uh, let's look at Michael. I like what Jason said that if he's, if he's because the guy committed suicide after the press release, right? Like the day after, pretty certain of that. Yeah, like day or two after that. And yes. so we didn't look at his circle of people. Uh, it's very likely that if he did this, he did it with another person, and the other person was probably the assailant of, of the sexual assault. Uh, it it's it's troubling. It's really troubling because now this guy's perished and we really should have, if I'm law, if I'm on this case, I'm the detective. I'm looking at this guy. I'm looking at his circle of people who he's been around. Uh, I don't know if they could, like you said, phone records for the nineties. I'm not quite sure what they would do. I mean, if the guy had a cell phone or if he had a hard line, I know hard line, you could, you could track calls. Uh, if he had a cell phone, there's a, there's a ledger of it, but they didn't really look too closely at this guy. Uh, Cause Todd fuss, let's, let's get this out of the way. Does anyone here, we'll start with Leslie, we'll move to Jason, then we'll move to Sandy. Does anyone think Todd Fuss has something to do with this? You know, I don't know that name. I didn't run across a video that uh, spoke about him, so I'm going to have to pass on that. Yeah, he was in the Hulu special. He was So his ex called from prison to basically name him in the murder of Jean Benet. Mm-hmm. And she did that out of, her motivation to do that was out of revenge. Uh even this guy, uh, uh, FBI guy Clark, was a little, you know, when they asked, like, well, at a scale of 1 to 10, how how uh, how trustworthy is he? I think he said, like, 5 or 6. And Sandy could tell you when they're in prison and they, they, if they could see a light or a way out, they'll say just about whatever, even if it's tangible or, or if they fabricate some. So that's his story. Uh, in my observation... I don't think he had anything to do with it. And if he did, he was a very minuscule role. He's just, he's following a script pretty well. Jason, what do you think of this Todd Fuss guy? Well, you know, like I said, I don't really know a whole lot about that one either, but I will tell you this, that if his wife's calling from prison, I'm not going to discount it. I, I, you know, listen, when you, when you cast a play in hell, then you don't have angels as actors. So there's, there's, that's one of the sayings that exists for that. And if, if you're going to hear from somebody that's in prison, that doesn't mean that they're not telling you the truth. I mean, I deal with people that are in trouble all the time that tell me all kinds of stuff. And a lot of times it's true. So it's uh, could she be motivated to do it in another way? I'm sure I would be interested as to whether or not they tried to polygraph the guy. Did they go and talk to him? Did they what was his response when they went to talk to him? Where was he? I mean, you know, people leave a, a, a pretty decent footprint around wherever they've been throughout their life. And so, uh, you know, it would depend upon what their investigative efforts were and how they were able to exclude him is what I would be interested in. Right. Uh, so Agent Clark sat him down for an interview and he he picked up on mediocre amounts of deceit. 
uh, where he could gauge when he was telling the truth on his eyes and the way he was engaging with him versus when he asked him a, a little bit more complex question where he would look away. And so, well, listen, let me tell you something real quick, just yeah. briefly. I, I don't know. I don't know this guy and I don't, I don't know what his level of expertise is and he might be just super amazing. I don't know, but I don't put a lot of stock into looking up to the left and, and looking away right. and, and all this, that, and the other stuff that's read stuff. I, I just gauge my opinion off of people and just in general, just having a conversation with them. I don't know what he's referring to with respect to that. I think I would be very, very cautious of claiming that this guy's lying here or there based on him looking up to a different direction. Right. I just don't put a lot of stock into that because everybody is so different. That's one of the reasons that the read technique, it's the tool. I, I, I think it's great. And I think that it's a, a good tool for cops to go to, but I don't really think much about that. I, I think about just really how people are. You, you can tell usually. Uh, now, some people are exceptionally great liars, and I get fooled from time to time. But I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into it based on those those telltales that he's talking about. Right, Sandy, Todd, Fuss. What what are, what are your thoughts? I'll probably on end up as being. Uh, I'll probably end up being hated by probably a yet another hum or FBI guy somewhere along the line. But yeah, that's, that's just the way I've. <laughs> That's just the way of it. People, we're going to form our opinions, and people are not going to like them, and they're going to like them, and that's uh, that's oh, the, that's what makes this great. This is just a conversation. People get to eavesdrop. <laughs> Sandy, what do you think of Todd Fuss? What do you, what are your thoughts on him? Um, kind of like you said, he's not the brightest individual. Um, so I don't think he was like a mastermind mastermind behind any of this. Um, he was pretty quick about saying, "Yeah, sure, swab me for the DNA." Um, when the former FBI agent asked him if he'd be open to being swabbed for DNA yep. so they could match. He was quick. So if he has anything to do with it, I think his conscience was pretty clear that he wasn't involved as far as anything that would require DNA. Does it make sense? So I probably wouldn't kind of spend too much resources on him. <laughs> if that makes any sense. No, it does. I mean, he was very quick. Yeah. Guys, swab me. Like he had zero concern for that, so he, in his mind, I'm innocent of the of the assault. Uh, what yeah. what role he might have played, or what he forget the role, what he might know. If there's any deceit in him, it might be what he knows. Because what the only thing I did notice is when they asked him about the scrapyard, to uh, you know, did you go get parts for the scrapyard? He answered the question before the guy finished a- asking the question. So he like like the guy said in the show, he was prepared to, to state that. He he had the foresight to know that that question was coming, and he and he answered that question way before the guy even finished the sentence of, of the question itself. So he may or may and, not know something. And I, this, and I did notice that he immediately was like, "Oh yeah, I'd been there with Cinnamon, which was his daughter, right. which I'm sure is true." And that's what a lot of you know criminals do end up doing. They they put enough truth to it, you know what I mean, where they can get by. But there's a, they always tend to omit. So I'm sure he did, you know, I'm sure he did go with his daughter, but he probably left out the fact that he probably had been there with Bernice, which is his, you know, ex-wife. Right. Yeah. And so does he notice Michael uh, Helgoth guy? I, I think he did. Because for when he asked him the question, he, he shut the question down and he redirected you know, he went to the story more or less of like what he was doing there with his daughter for what part it was. 
So he's, I don't know. I don't know what to think of him. I don't, I don't think he was the, the assailant. I don't think, definitely was not the mastermind. There's no shot in the dark that guy's a mastermind. He definitely did not see any profit or get paid by anyone for it because uh, it reflects on his life directly. And they didn't see anything in his past showing that he's ever spent great amounts of money. So what this boils down to now is we have a suspect who is passed on and that's this, this Michael uh, Helgoth guy. And we don't know because he wore a high tech boot. He did have a mag light that was missing. Uh, like what Jason said, why were there no fingerprints? To, uh, if there were fingerprints on the flashlight, I didn't hear about it. Um, the parachute type thing that the, 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 that, Jean Benet was uh, strangled with is a, it's a rope, like a parachute rope, I believe not made of nylon. Um, it's there's, where did it come from? Un- unknown. Um, the it's being said that either an aluminum bat and or a golf club could have been a blunt instrument involved with it, which one it is unknown. This case has a lot of unknowns and it's, it's troubling. So, and I can't even point the finger at this this uh, cult leader, Scott Carruthers. However, he is bizarre. Like, that guy is bizarre. When you read more about that guy outside of this case, he's a strange dude, man. Like, he's basically convinced a large group of people to believe that he was an alien deity and that something to the, to the note that uh, Jesus might have been an alien. It's it, crazy. And, you know, like other people, if they want to believe something or they hear one or two things that line it up, they 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 firmly stand behind it. So it, it, it's a problem. The whole case is a problem. And I, I, I feel bad for John Rams. I'm going to ask everyone this. We're going to start with Leslie, go to Jason, go to Sandy. Leslie, John Ramsey, the father, in my opinion, I don't think he had anything to do with her with her death. You? Well, I just want to bring up the original possibility that was suggested. And that was that the nine-year-old son accidentally killed his sister. And then the parents had to scramble to figure out what to do. And they covered it up by writing the letter. And um, I'm just very taken with the length of time I think that letter took to be written and that there are two, three suspects sitting in the Ramsey house while the parents are upstairs asleep and they're writing a letter on their note, note paper using their uh, their pens in the house. It just seems really far-fetched to me. I am glad that Jason mentioned the idea, which had kind of occurred to me. I hadn't put words to it, but to somehow be sure that the DNA that we're excluding all these potential suspects uh, because of that, that is indeed uh, the DNA has integrity and that we are matching it up knowing that that is an exclusionary tool. Um, I don't know, John Ramsey, I watched a more recent interview and he's still funneling money into uh, searching out the uh, killer. And that's why I think that this case is much different than all the other child uh, abductions and murders uh, that have gone cold. And this one still is in the limelight is because he's uh, he's 
funneled money into it and uh, gotten people to continue to work on it, as well as that one detective, uh, John Schmidt, who was obsessed with the case and his granddaughters, like Jason said, are now carrying that on. So um, I don't know. I think anything's possible. I think uh, I did read at one point that there was a task force that the Boulder uh, Police Department was going to consult a cold case task force uh, that worked for the uh, state of Colorado. That was supposed to happen this year. I couldn't find anything that uh, gave an update about that, but there are a lot of unanswered questions and still suspects out there. And I don't think anyone is completely clear of possibility. Yeah. You know, I heard this thing too about the son might've did it accidentally and the parents want to cover up. I'm going to poke a hole in that. If they did. <laughs> yeah. The letter makes sense. The, uh, still that number, that odd number. Um, but there's no shot. A relative of that family, especially the mother, would cover up this long because no one could hold a secret that long. But the assault of her, the sexual assault of her, there's no way to say, hey, you know what? To cover this up for our son, we're going to both strangle her, hit her with a taser gun, hit her with a blunt object, and then sexually assault her and put her in the basement. There's no shot that they would go to that extreme. That's crazy. I've heard people, I've heard this in a lot of different places, like, oh, the kid did it and we're going to cover it up. That's horseshit, period. Um <laughs> As far as the, the contaminated DNA, especially in, in that era, the 90s, 100%. It could be the fact that they, they've, it's been contaminated. Uh, I don't know where we go from there with that because, you know, it, did, it definitely did not match any, any of the relatives, and it was nowhere in a database. So that's the big question mark. Whose DNA is it? How, how corrupted is it? How did we repair it with today's technology? And what we're talking about doing in, in I mean, Elon Musk is already talking about putting a chip in your brain to access, to re both repair people with brain damage and then access media in your own mind. That's coming. We're talking about 3D printing <laughs> limbs from DNA, your own heart. If you need a heart transplant, you can have your own heart. So DNA is a huge uh, factor in that. So I don't know. So Jason, what do you think of John? Absolutely not. I mean, when I look at him in all of the interviews that he's done and just, just the way he conducts himself still to this day, I have zero, uh, thought and I could be wrong, but, but I, but, but really my gut is telling me he absolutely has no, no idea as to who did this or that he has zero involvement in any of this. That's just my, my opinion. I agree. Especially when he's putting in, we're not talking little bits of money. This guy's putting big money into keeping us alive, the tracking down the killer. This guy is putting money into it, so it's no, not. But a Leslie, I'm not. I don't want you to feel bad about that. I mean, because I, <laughs> I, I, I like the. Well, number one, I like the fact that you're, you know, you're thinking outside of the box, and that's really what it takes. It's, right. And, and it, not to be narrow-minded. I mean, that's that's one of the things that gets people, and that's what got them early on in this investigation. Is they immediately thought it was the parents, and they thought nobody else could possibly be involved in this. And time. Time is of the essence on a case like this. I don't know how long phone records existed back then from a phone company. They could have they could have put their net out a little bit further and, and some of these names when they're coming up, and they might have been able to get phone data on some of these people. Let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that the DNA did happen to belong to an employee that, that, that it was a cross-contamination situation. Well, can you imagine the black eye that they would have on their department if that was the case? And the the whirlwind of incredibly, it would be horrible, really. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just saying that 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 is a potential 
I, I would hope that they have looked at that and they've tried to exclude anybody that has been touched this case in any way, shape or form. Yeah. But I, but as far as John, I mean, listen, this guy, can you imagine what both of those parents and the son went through their whole, they were, they were looked at, they were probably the most hated people in the, in the country or if not the world, I mean, everybody thought that they had something to do with it or most people did. And try, try walking down the street when people are yelling and screaming that you're a murderer and you're, you're trying to grieve for God's sakes. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I'm surprised that they even, I, I'm, I'm thankful that they didn't kill themselves or something crazy because literally just the, the lynch mob that existed in this country for those people, I can't even imagine what yeah. life was like for them overnight, but yeah, I, I remember it actually goes out to him. Really? I remember being a kid and hearing people bash them. And you know what Leslie, I think Leslie was referencing the people out there on both Reddit and other sites that were, that were saying the son did it and they're covering. That's what she was referencing. I don't think that's her belief system. Um, no, no. All right. And I don't care. Even if she does think that I, yeah. I actually appreciate the fact that you're even considering that because I'm not excluding anybody. Right. Uh, just the ones that I'm, I'm just telling you based on DNA to me, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on from those that are a no match and moving on to other people as potentials as opposed to, to consistently or c- continually looking at those people. But that's just my thought. But as far as the dad, heck no, I, I don't have any, any thought at all, uh, that, that he has anything to do with it. That's me though. Right. Sandy, well, in reality, I I would vote for Gary Oliva. I mean, depending me, on the oh, DNA. I mean, me too. I mean, the handwriting so... the handwriting's pretty 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 close. It yeah. really is. It really is. That's that's the scariest <laughs> part is that his handwriting mm-hmm. is not far off. Um it's that that's the so the DNA exclusion and maybe Jason's, you know, maybe you're right. It's, it got so corrupted they couldn't get a good DNA on him. But yeah, he he really stuck out to me largely. Sandy, John, the father, what are your thoughts? Um, I I don't think he did it. I mean, <clears throat> so they, looking at the facts that we know that obviously there was sexual, I mean, she had been raped and how everything, I mean, that's objective, right? Those are right. the facts. And knowing sex offenders and everything, they don't stop. Right. At some point, they're going to slip. And with somebody who had been living under so much scrutiny for how many years now? Forever. He would slip. And so, you know, outside of everything, he doesn't fit the profile. I really, in my mind, he does not fit the profile. I don't see him at all. I I agree with Jason completely. I really don't see him really being involved like that. And, and, you know, mentioning the brother as a cover-up, if the if it was a cover up, then that means there would have been mistakes. Right. So there's no way they've been able to clean up all the DNA so neatly. You know what I mean? Right. So that's the thing. I, I do think this was planned, and maybe it it was a kidnap gone wrong. You know, <clears throat> who knows? And if there were more than one person involved, then sure, you can have DNA for one and not the other. So, like with Gary, you know, yeah, he may have written the letter because, you know, that's his part in it. But maybe he wasn't the one who actually sexually assaulted her. So that, somebody else. And so that's why the DNA excluded him. Yeah. So who knows? We got to think in terms of this. Whoever did this was not a good person who with a, a strong education and who could probably plot. I, I, I highly doubt whoever did this could even plot a, a simple robbery. 
based on all the, the, the stuff left behind, the scuffs on the wall? Uh, was it a kidnapping that went botched? It's very possible that on a team of people, that whomever put them up to doing this, the unfortunate part is one of the people on the team, or two, were a pedophile. And their their urges took the better of them, and it turned more fit. Because initially, you think about this. She had stun gun marks on her body. Uh, that's even for a girl, a six-year-old, that's a little extreme. Like, all right, we got to subdue her with a stun gun in the face in the back. It's pretty, you know, Well, I've seen that. I've seen that before. So, I mean, and I saw it in a case where the kid was five years old and I'm sure it was to keep him from crying. Uh, One of those deals. So I'll I'll tell you another thing just real quick. I got to throw this out there because sometimes just things pop in my brain, but I would be shocked I, I, they, nobody's ever talked about mom or dad's DNA being on the body. I mean, you would think that's that, that there should be DNA on the body from number one. John ended up picking her up and brought her upstairs. Right. Is her, is his DNA not on the body anywhere? I mean, how is that possible to not have his DNA? That should be an automatic. And really the mom, I mean, moms give daughters baths or they make sure that they're cleaned up or dressed them or, or their clothes. They they folded their clothes and put them up in the in in the drawer. Well, first. more so more importantly, I would be shocked. I'm more surprised that there's not that DNA from right. the parents on the on the underwear. More importantly, it's Christmas hugging, kissing her. Mo- the mother seems like a very yeah. affectionate person. Yeah, and I and imagine second a, of all, a lot of hugging and kissing. You're right. Where is that DNA? That's a good point. I, I would like to know where that DNA. Yeah, but I think they were looking at like inside the underwear. So right. I mean, right. with my kids, I don't think I would, you know, I fold it, no, but agreed. I fold the outside. Agreed. Agreed. You know what I mean? Agreed. So, agreed. Is, there- is that me? Or is that you making that crazy noise? Is that me? It's, 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 it's Sandy. Yeah, it's Sandy. It would be me. It would be me. So, and then the one thing I want to make a quick point. Let me take a quick point real quick, too. Yep, yep. I, I, I would like to know in reference to the injuries, specifically the injury of she had been sexually assaulted. I'd like to know if they have the, if they know, was that post-mortem or was that when she was alive? I think that's a big, that's a big uh, sign as to the profile of the killer potentially. And, and and I I would think that they would have been able to determine that based on the exam. I don't know, but I, but I'd like to know the answer to that uh, as to whether or not she was alive or not. So I'm glad you said that was a question I was going to bring next. I'm like, was, because if it was, so if it's postmortem, the predator that was involved with this just couldn't help himself. Look, right, she's already dead, but you know what I mean? Like we don't, it's a crazy bit of psychology, especially when you send someone in to do a, a kidnapping and it gets to the point of violence that the little girl put up a, a major fight. Uh, we don't even know she was killed in that basement. She could have been brought back. That scuff mark on that wall drove an idea to me. Like they had to, it, it was made, what is that wall? Four foot tall, four and a half feet. Um, the it carrier, looks higher to me. Yeah, well, I mean, even if it's like five foot, they have to carry her up there. Or have, Here's the better part. This is what makes me somewhat think that there's uh, there's other people involved. Because let's say the, the guy, they take her out of the home, things go wrong, and for whatever reason, they bring her back to the home. Uh, you can't just pick her up. Like, let's say you climb down to the window, you're going to reach back up and pull her and bring her back down, or is she in a suitcase? Either way, there's a handoff involved. And if there wasn't a handoff involved, I think there'd be a little bit more disturbance in the room, right? There's no way one guy pulled her through that window, whether she's in a suitcase or however they, they transported her body. It doesn't make sense to me that there's only one person involved here. So 
Is it that the kidnapping was botched because the little girl put up a fight and then she died as a result of her fighting back um, and her screaming and it's the middle of the night and they want to suppress her screams and she ends up dying. And then, you know, the guy brings her back in the house and the DNA on, on, the, on the underwear and the leg are, are pretty well preserved for the most part, at least what I read. Did the assault, the sexual assault then happen in, in, the, in the, the basement? You know, this whole thing. It's it's it bothers you know it's a it's a little girl and despite how long ago it was despite it being a case it still troubles me to my core it's a little girl you know and I hate to say this but people that do this to a little girl should be loaded into a spring and shot into a wall <laughs> you know let's be honest because there's no reason to put them in prison to pay for them to live the rest of their life when they've done this to a little girl blows me away so I don't know that whole scuff mark on the wall. The way the suitcase is placed, which in my mind, the suitcase is placed there for a footstep. And that's how they're transporting her through it in and out of the window. It's I so I don't re, I mean, did they, they didn't say in a documentary and I don't remember hearing from her else, but did, was she killed in the basement and or out of the home? That's the question. Yeah, I don't think they really know the answer to that definitively. Yeah, it's troubling. It's really troubling. So, all right, before we sum up here, um, is there anything about, you know, anyone wants to add? Well, I mean, I'm I always optimistic. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go I was going to say, I think, I think, I mean, it is very sad that this has gone on, you know, unsolved. And I mean, and I'm sure there's a lot of other cases like this. And I, I do hope that there are still kind of, seems like a lot of things that can be done to maybe discover. And I hope that come, you know, that's actually productive and maybe finally whoever is, you know, responsible for this is caught. It'd be nice. Yeah. Jason, anything in summary? Uh, yeah, I, I, like I, like I'm going to echo what she said. I I'm, I'm very optimistic that the, just the way science is moving forward in really positive directions with respect to a lot of these cases, I, I, I have hope that that one day we will get the identity of who this person was maybe uh this is kind of a you know you have a lot of people that are armchair sleuths now that i mean if you look at the documentary don't f with cats just how money i mean the work that those people did i'm not inviting that on every one of these cases but i think that you can't help it and i think that you have a lot of people that are that want this case solved my hope is is that one day it will i think that the courtroom will be a much uh more challenging aspect for anybody just due to how the crime scene was kind of just uh, just handled in a way that uh, it's got it just opens itself up for all kinds of questions but uh you know i i hope it does i really do we don't want somebody like this out there i i, I think actually at the end of the day i think when, when if this person ever is revealed we'll probably be going are you kidding me this guy was like right there right in front of us the whole time right you know kind of a deal and maybe we'll be shocked by who this person may be i mean could be one of those type of cases who knows but i hope they do and and hopefully uh you know if nothing else maybe maybe police officers across the world have learned from this case and and bettered themselves to help with their cases agreed leslie i guess the only thing i would say is um i imagine there's so many details uh that are not revealed openly so we don't know if they thoroughly investigated and talked to this one person did they talk to this guy or what did they find out there's so many uh intentionally kind of held in information 
that when we go down a rabbit hole trying to figure out a particular uh, method or suspect, we're not sure because we don't have that extra information, if that makes sense. And um, so hopefully if they really uh, end up connecting with the cold case team from Colorado, if that really takes place, a lot of what we're talking about here will be addressed and there will be uh, people involved that will look at those things and uh, maybe have a clear path to finding who's responsible. I hope so. I hope there was, a, if nothing more than to let the little girl rest. And, you know, unfortunately the mother's passed. Uh, she had a tremendous amount of stress, but at the end of the day, this father, John, he's put a lot of resources in the fight. He, this, like I said, these TV networks and these, these, they, he didn't approach or they didn't approach him. He's approaching them. He's reaching out. He's keeping it alive. He, Good. he wants resolve. And I, my hope is that he gets that resolve. I really hope so. That being said, for uh, those of you that are listening, we're going to say good day, good evening, or good night, whatever it is for you. And I'm going to talk to these guys and post. Thank you.